Welcome to Trends with Benefits, real estate investing with Dale Creed Francis and Ryan Litvin. We strive to bring an open, honest, and transparent approach to real estate investing by informing and educating listeners about the real-world benefits, issues, and challenges investors need to know when it comes to direct participation real estate. This podcast is where you can learn the latest trends, innovations, and opportunities available to help build wealth, create income, and diversify your portfolio. So get ready for another informative, fast-paced, and entertaining episode of Trends with Benefits. In this podcast, what we want to do is start a little series here. I'm looking at, uh, I'm thinking, Ryan, like a three-part series. I think that's what it'll be. We're calling it Trends with Benefits, and it has to do with real estate, real estate investing specifically. What we want to do with it is to really bring forth some economic data, some statistics, some facts. We'll also put in some of our opinions about things at any given time. But what we want to do is bring you these these trends, these the the demographic and the economic trends that are happening in this industry, so that you can really get a feel for whether investing in real estate is right for you, for one, and then also how to do it. How do you want to do that, investing in real estate, if you decide that it is? Because certainly statistics would show that that's a wise thing, too. I know Forbes did a a report, Ryan, that uh, came out and said that 77% of millionaire investors own real estate, and that's not talking about their homes. No, and there's challenges, too getting into real estate as an investment. And that's what we're here to help you uncover, you know, and get through those challenges and be that that gateway, which, if you will. Today, we're going to be covering the facts, the facts regarding real estate, the trends, the trends, we call this trends with benefits. We're going to be covering many different statistics that Dale said. Why are we doing that? Because you need research-backed Evidence, right? You need right. evidence that's research-backed, and you have to do your due diligence. You have to do your research, not just on a broad asset class as real estate, but what are the subcategories, the sub-asset classes of real estate? What are the different markets individually? What are the, the overall U.S. trends, but more specifically, what are the local trends, and mm-hmm. how can we break it down even county by county in specific area, and what are some of those things that are looked at when you're looking at really generating the maximum return on investment by making a real estate investment. Correct. And we're based out of the Twin Cities in Minnesota now. So some of the stuff we'll talk about is national, but some of it is local. Some of it's Minnesota. Some of it's real local, like Twin Cities metro area and surrounding suburbs and things like that. So let's get into, uh, let's start this off with talking about how the popular media really aim to influence our investing decisions. They broadcast a virtual financial circus underwritten by sales-driven investment and insurance companies. There's hype, exaggerations, contradictions, and conflicts of interest that leave investors the task of really trying to distinguish noise from substance. The media's pitch concerns paper assets like stocks, bonds, REITs, and mutual funds. Although discerning investors can use heavily marketed paper assets to help serve their interests, physical real estate presents a responsible alternative. In their search for better investments, more and more people are turning to real estate. In fact, it has become so compelling, we now refer to it as modern 
traditional investments. It's a modern traditional investment. Direct participation real estate, DPRE. It offers an asset class with, with the potential of income, growth, wealth preservation, that real true diversification that's potential uh, for many accredited investors. Sure does. And JP Morgan came out with some studies. There's a multitude of groups that we're going to get into as we go through this. Many people we're finding are out there looking, trying to research, how do I, how do I invest in real estate? Where do I invest in real estate? You know, I've heard the thing from people that say, it's the only investment that has the word real in it, right? Right. And real assets. It's a real asset. But how do you find it? How do who do you work with? Who's the sponsor? Well, how do you know their credentials and what they've done in the past? There's so many intricacies that I believe somebody should look at to really do their own due diligence on who to invest with, how to invest, why to invest, all of those things at an individual level. So this is going to be more of a of a broad-based, factual-based what represents the need, the demand for different sub-asset classes within real estate. Mm -hmm. Well, and you hit on a point there when you said the word real is in there. But here's where it gets confusing for investors, because so does a real estate investment trust. A REIT also says real estate in it, but when it's a paper asset. And so because DPRE does not get the media exposure of these paper assets. We believe that thoughtful and purposeful investors need to really hear the DPRE story. We start the story with this, with the trends and economic factors. Some of these trends are 30, 40 years in the making, Ryan. These are the facts that bear on sound investment decisions. From there, our story introduces DPRE's unique characteristic. And when this is over, You'll see how DPRE is not merely a faceless source of cash flows. Rather, it's a living, responsible participant in a local community of families, neighbors, residents, consumers, and workers. So it's not what we're talking about is how there are economic factors, but this is not DPRE is not so economic cycle dependent. It's more demographic cycle dependent. And these trends and economic factors can help investors identify Investment opportunities, Minnesota and the nation are experiencing a confluence of trends with positive DPRE results. So let's look at trends with benefits here. Senior demographics. Let's talk about that, Ryan. Statistics and facts as they are. Minnesota specifically, Minnesota state demographics. Demographers. Demographers. Yes. Minnesota I know that's State a fun one. Demographers. I like to make up words. That one's not made up. Uh, <laughs> they estimated age 65 plus residents represented 16% of the state population in 2018. That's a two percentage point increase from the 2013 estimate. Demographers project the senior population specifically will peak in 2036 at 21.7%. Hold on right there for a second, because this is one of the first real big impacting statistics, I thought. So that's 17 years from now. It says that's what's when it's going to peak. That doesn't mean it just stops, right? But almost 22% of the population at that point. So up until for, for now, until 17 years, it's building up and up and up in that senior demographic. Well, I mean, there's baby that's the baby boomer thing so there's 10,000 baby boomers turning 70 every day for the next 16 17 years across the nation 268,000 approximately turning 70 and a half right in Minnesota in the next 10 years 
And this is these are the trends surrounding seniors. And what can this, you know, why talk about these trends? The senior housing, the crisis really as we see it, senior housing, assisted living, memory care, what are the statistics? So going into even the second half of the 21st century, demographers project seniors will continue to represent more than one in five Minnesota residents. Satisfying demand for senior housing, I think, is going to present a lasting challenge, even as the next unborn generation reaches adulthood, Dale. Well, yeah, that takes us to this one article, Ryan, that we we picked out and and really it had an impact on us. And we've told many of our our followers of the podcast and many uh, investors about this. This is from Mark Miller, who wrote this for Reuters. The title was called U.S. Ill-Prepared to Confront Future Senior Housing Crunch. And just to highlight a couple of real important po- uh, points out of this thing, he said that uh, as the number of households in their 80s grows, it will be essential that we strengthen the links between housing, health care, and other services. Are we prepared to meet these challenges? Not even close. Do we have enough accessible housing and enough services that can be brought into homes? The short answer is no. We've all seen all these things coming, but the numbers are staggering, said Linda Couch, Vice President of Housing Policy at Lending Age. So it's powerful. That's powerful stuff that really goes into, uh, you know, relates to that. Now, according to a paper published by the Minnesota Housing Finance Agency, it projects senior population growth on the per, parameter of the Twin Cities. So the, the outskirts of the Twin Cities to exceed growth in most other parts of the state. So for that reason, we believe senior housing demand can be served best in suburban and near suburban areas. I got to slow it, slow it down for a little bit, a second here too. So what you're saying is, and, and what we're seeing, is that the senior population growth is greater in the perimeter of the Twin Cities, you know, the nine, arguably 11 county metro area, mm-hmm. there's specific areas where it's growing a lot more. So this more gets into, and as you, you know, many people that are listening to this know, we do real estate development. Um, we re- develop real estate. We do senior housing. We do apartments. And if you're an investor or a potential investor that's going to look at investing, do your own due diligence on all of these things. Again, this is, these are things that we look at uh, for making decisions in an area where to go. So we're not just going into these high, high, dense, dense areas where the mechanics or the economics of a project doesn't necessarily work. Rather, we're looking at the statistical data like MHFA put out, the Minnesota Housing Finance Agency, just one of the resources of where that population and senior growth is, which counties to specifically look at versus other ones. Yeah, well, and if you look at the way that investors are now seeking the type of real estate you're talking about, uh, Financial Planning Magazine came out and said, that accredited investors, now 64% of them are seeking that direct investment into the properties like you're talking about, like apartments and senior living, and are avoiding the REIT avenue. Because, again, that's paper asset versus the hard assets that you're talking about. And have I, in my opinion, from financial advisors, and I'm not a financial advisor, but financial advisors that I've talked to, 
they are now slowly grasping the concept more of direct real estate investing as well. Because so often, and, and I'm talking about more of the affluent advisors that are working with um, accredited investors and right. higher net worth individuals where the, you know, these are established financial advisors. So they're not off, you know, they're not after the annuity sale commission or just trying to get any assets under management that they can uh, that, you know, to get fees on rather right. they're at, they're actually offering fiduciary advising, whether it benefits them or not in some cases. And so they're looking at more of this direct participation real estate versus what used to be just pitched out there were REITs and real estate investment trusts and mutual funds that had real estate as a part of them. And, you know, that was their allocation to real estate. Rather, people are now turning or looking, educating themselves on these. So as a sponsor, as somebody who works heavily in the real estate world and and is very knowledgeable, I believe, in the real estate world, these are some of the things that we have to look at. And I would encourage anybody that's going to make an investment, whether it's with us or somebody else, to look at the data, look at the statistical information to try and make the best investment that you can, but also make sure that it's good in light of your own financial condition as well. So some of the other things that we look at, you take among the nine counties in the Twin Cities area, you got to look at poverty rates. Mm -hmm. The highest poverty rate for seniors is in Hennepin and Ramsey counties. Now, we believe the greater growth opportunities lie in those surrounding counties. Again, the perimeter of the Twin Cities, not just going downtown Minneapolis. You have to look at all of those things. What's the Minneapolis 2040 Comprehensive Plan, and what do they want for senior stuff, too? I mean, that's it's very challenging. And so all that affects the cost structure and the economics of a particular deal. So these are all things that we have to have to look at. Yeah, you absolutely have to, and that's why exactly why we're covering this. And your point about the difference between the DPRE and the REITs, look, DPRE has proven itself to be exactly what we're talking about over the years. REITs, when they came out, it sounded good, and it sounded like a great way to simply diversify everything. But as over the last three decades, it's proven to not be what it was cracked up to be. So in your opinion, you don't like REITs? Well, I just think that there are better ways of investing in the actual asset class of real estate. I'm trying to set you up because I like REITs. Okay. I love REITs. Not as an investor in a REIT, but rather as an actual sponsor of a project of a of a, an apartment building or a senior living building. REITs have so much money from all these advisors piling money, and they're looking for anything that they can buy. Yeah. And that drives higher prices when you own the underlining asset. Yeah. So as somebody that owns multi-unit residential and senior housing, going to look to sell to those, oftentimes REITs are some of the ones that are maybe overpriced or more competitive. You know, they, they give you a, a better price because they're just trying to shovel money somewhere. So what does that say to the, you know, if I look at that from an individual, from my own standpoint, and I'm out there and I, and let's just, I don't have knowledge of the real estate world, let's say. I'm going to, you know, somebody's going to say, yeah, look at this REIT. It's a real estate investment trust. You should, I'm going to invest in that. And I didn't know that they were just shoveling money around. And, and you know, a lot of them are just looking to buy assets to because they have more money than they do assets, mm -hmm. you know, projects. Yeah. yeah. I mean, happens. that's you have all this stuff that's under the water or behind the curtain that many people are unaware of. Now, thankfully, I'm for me, I'm, I'm in that, you know, direct space. 
Uh, and that's, I think, why we're trying to educate people, too, on, you know, what are things that are available that are out there? Well, you know, what can an accredited investor do uh, to educate themselves? And if that's in their wheelhouse, their risk tolerance, all that stuff, you know, if, if you want to invest in real estate, what do you look at? You look at statistics. You look at facts. Let's keep doing that. Let's do it. General economic trends in the U.S. and Minnesota. So let's move to that. So, so this isn't just among seniors. This is among it's a good point. That is correct. And so, yes, so this is not just, we're not doing just statistics about seniors. That's where we started, but stick with us because what we're going to show you, I think, is some really eye-opening uh, statistics across all demographics of age right now. So, uh, all right, for the Minneapolis-St. Paul metropolitan area, the latest Bureau of Economic Analysis report indicates nominal GDP growth of 3.9%. Even though this nominal rate slightly lags the U.S. average, it is sustainable and falls near rates observed in recent years. Minnesota's per capita GDP rate is a full 4% ahead of the national average. Hold on. Minnesota's per capita gross domestic product GDP rate yeah. is 4% ahead of the national average. That's correct. And that's, that's a fact. A yes, that comes right. Yeah, that's a fact. And you can, you can actually – so these are all sourced – and in fact, you can request your copy of our book called uh, Evidence-Based Investing, Trends with Benefits. And these are all sourced, all these statistics and stats. Something I think else. that's repetitive. Statistics and stats. St I don't know. Anyway. Well, that's statistically correct on your stat <laughs> yeah. statistician. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota. Now, I, you know, you moved from Iowa, Dale. To Minnesota. I did. It's a long time ago. I can hardly remember. Well, and there's, you know, I think there's, you know, there's both economies are great, but there's a lot of things happening in Minnesota here. Mm -hmm. In recent years, Minnesota wage growth, the wage growth, what people are making, what they're earning, what they're able to spend their discretionary ancillary money. Mm -hmm. The Minnesota wage growth has exceeded U.S. wage growth in recent years. So across the nation, Minnesota has exceeded most, if I think, if not all, every other, you know, all every other part of the nation, wage growth has exceeded it. It's right up there. If it hasn't exceeded every one, it's it's certainly in that top handful. Hmm. Yeah. So the the U.S. and local economies continue showing evidence of robust growth. We believe this data sheds a favorable light on DPRE investment potential. At the same time, multifamily property values have been less sensitive to economic contra contractions than many paper investments or certainly single-family homes. So, again, DPRE is more demographic cycle-dependent than it is economic cycle-dependent. And we get questions, you know, all the time. People say, you know, when's the building going to stop or when's this going to stop? All mm -hmm. the commonly asked questions. So uh, be sure, we're not going to cover that on this podcast, but be sure to check out our questions and answers, our questions and answers podcast uh, that we've got. Okay, so let's get into real local here as far as a study carries a lot of weight with me, and I think it does with a lot of people who know real estate and know who the players are. The Minneapolis-St. Paul area placed number one in the nation in Marcus and Millichap's 2019 multifamily investment forecast. No other Midwest area even ranks in the top 20. So what does that mean? I mean, it wasn't there. We weren't there uh, last year. Or, or two years ago. Uh, but Not we did, number one, but we no, were. We were in the top five, and we yeah. climbed, because, well, actually, we climbed two spots to head this year's yeah, index. Yeah, I was saying we were three. I was thinking, yeah. This sustained apartment demand has kept vacancies persistently tight, 
allowing for steady rent growth. So what does that mean? If there's vacancy rates, if there isn't many vacancy rates, I think commonly, um, don't quote me specifically on this, but I mean, when we look at, you know, a good, strong economy or, or a good, strong market for apartments, you're going to be looking at about 95% occupied across the board or what's called a 5% vacancy rate. Mm. Keep that in mind as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, in most cases, you're going to have that slight slippage of the of the vacancy rate just because of turnover. But it's certainly um, done stronger than that here because uh, here are the forecast's most credible findings. Strong job growth in our region, okay? A decline from the previous year in construction of new rental units. So you think, oh, how is that good? It's because they go a little bit in waves. And and what happened is, is it went down just a little bit. But now all of the studies, when we go do a market study, look, if it's not strong enough, we don't build there. But having units for whatever reason, whether it's cities or developers or you just can't get those deals in that year, that's good for yes. folks like us yeah. and people that are invested in real estate because – the tighter the vacancy rate, the less options, right? The higher the demand. It's all, everything in this world is supply and demand, right? So at a tight vacancy rate, your rents go up, which means your cash flow increases. So having other exactly. people not build apartments mean that your existing assets are increasing in value potentially because you have an increase in your net operating income because your rents are going higher because there isn't that many options or aren't that many options that are out there. So back to your vacancy point. This is a key on this list. So vacancy rates have declined to the point of about 2.5%, and it's almost physically impossible to get that number lower. I've been in the business 26 years. That is one of the lowest, if not the lowest, uh, 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 vacancy rate in the country. And I'll tell you, you it's basically that's like zero because you're you're going to have when someone moves out you're going to have a week or two no matter what well when you're looking at you know what we see as a sweet spot 100 to 200 unit apartment buildings or you know in that in that space mm-hmm. you know you've got 200 different peoples peoples 200 different people 200 different families 200 different lives mm-hmm. They all got different stuff going on, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they're moving jobs, they're not all just staying there at any given time. And, uh, you know, I wish it was the case, but, uh, you know, if you've got a 200-unit apartment building, all 200 people aren't moving in the same month, so they don't all have 12-month leases, right? It's staggered. It is. And it's staggered for a reason for us as well. Yeah. Um, So you have those leases, you know, staggered, and you can really predict your occupancy levels better that way. You can, in fact... If you know what a bond ladder is, think of it that way. Different maturities. It's a rent ladder. Yeah. And and it gives you opportunity to have the, the rents increase from turnover, which is nice. Right. So let's talk about the 5.7% increase in rents. Well, last year in 2018, Minneapolis, or Minnesota rather, saw a 6.1% increase in the amount uh, that rents were. And this year, they're expected to be up another 5.7%. Mm-hmm. So again, occupancy rates are high, rents are increasing. Will that slow down in the future? Absolutely. Some, it will in the future. Things are always cyclical. Will it? But that can be a good thing for 
developers and people that are knowing in the market and, and kind of weeding out some of the other people in the market. Yeah, all these projections point to rising demand, limited supply, and revenue increases for DPRE owners and investors. So the, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development performed its HUD. analysis. HUD. Yeah, A lot of people know that as HUD. Yep, and performed its analysis of housing supply and demand of the Minneapolis-St. Paul general area in 2017. This HMA consists of 14 Minnesota counties and two Wisconsin counties. So those would be the western counties of Wisconsin, obviously, almost basically considered part of the Twin Cities metro now. So HMA stands for Housing Market Area. Yes, sorry, yes. So the HMA stretches from Mille Lacs County south to Lesur and from Sibley on the east to St. Croix and Pierce. Uh, so here are the study's most critical findings, Ryan. The vacancy rate, including single-family homes and apartments, equaled 4.8% in that huge, large swath of area. Wow. While the suburban submarket, counties other than Hennepin and Ramsey, because remember, they had declining, uh, they have the highest poverty rates. Uh, so the suburban submarket, other than Hennepin and Ramsey, again, that rate equaled 3.2% vacancy rates, which was down from 7.6% in 2010. So in 2010, you had 7.6% of units available for rent. Those were vacant. Now, in the, in the submarket of the suburban Twin Cities area, uh, their study is showing vacancy rates are just 3.2%. And that may have gotten a little tricky to while you're listening. So again, re you can request the copy of our evidence-based investing trends with benefits booklet, and it goes more detail into that. But so the HMA apartment vacancy rate was even tighter at only 2.3%. So rather than going too much into detail with that, again, that you can't see, think of it, think, okay, talk about rents. Rents for the suburban sub-market apartments averaged about 1,020 and 1,255 respectively. And then it goes up from there for the central markets, all the way up to almost $2,000. Well, that's for two and a three bedroom apartments. I got to tell this, uh, and then, you know, we've got some more data here. We'll wrap it up in the next few minutes, I'm sure. But uh, we have an apartment building on a lake in a, uh, in a, uh, trying not to give the specific area, but it's in the metro. Why? It's in the metro area. Why? You don't want, don't want to give it out. Well, because it's not available, I don't want somebody to come in and oh, bid okay. even higher. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, on the it's on the fourth story overlooking the lake, two bedroom, two bath, and this is not like the butler service either. You don't, I mean, that stuff's ridiculous. But two bedroom, two bath is going for three thousand dollars a month. Right. Three thousand dollars a month in a suburb, and and it's not a you don't get a dock with that, you know, or a boat or anything. This is just overlooking a small lake, two bedroom, two bath, three three grand a month. Yeah. So. Let's move on from the senior demographic because we said there's more to it than just that. So let's move on to the millennial housing experience. I'll be okay because now what we're looking at is this is the largest group of renters. They rent longer than previously, uh, any generation previous to them. Between the boomers and the millennials, that makes up almost half of the U.S. population. Okay, and millennials. They present a powerful economic force. They're born between 81 and 96. Most millennials witnessed the Great Recession as teenagers and young adults. 
So many of them had a difficult time finding their first jobs. Many endured personal disruptions when their parents lost jobs and lost their homes as mortgage defaults rose from 2% up to 11%. Their experience leaves them cautious. I don't blame them. I mean, large college loan debt add to their tentative approach to mortgage debt. Partly because millennial renters' rates have increased in recent years, renters in general in the U.S. have reached its highest rate in over 50 years, according to Pew Research. Though nationwide rental rates equaled almost 37% of all households, Minneapolis renters outnumbered homeowners, Ryan. Now that sounds crazy to some, you know, a lot of homeowners that are sure probably does. listening to the show, but these are the statistics. So, Ryan... Let's talk about the other facts about millennial demographics and their housing experience. Millennials, e-commerce, or, or whatever the name is, millennials represent about 21.3% of Minnesota's population right That's now. 21.3% of the population. Yeah. The 25 to 34 age group specifically, which makes up a little over half of all millennials, is the largest age group in the state. Roughly half of millennials are still under 30. So I think that trend is still going to persist. Millennials are the longest running rental group. Mm -hmm. Homeownership in Minnesota has declined since 2006. Homeownership has declined in Minnesota since 06. And millennials are helping drive Minnesota's low vacancy rates. There's another interesting stat that's not really reflected in this. There are now think about that. Well, what he just said about the millennials, there are about 14 million other millennials still living in their parents' home that are not reflected in this, that at some point are going to need to do some move out, right? And they're probably not going to buy right away. Some will, but there again, they're going to look to rent. And if that isn't enough, the final points to the statistics before we'll move on to part two of trends with benefits is that the, there is another demographic following the millennials. That is Generation Z. And believe it or not, you're starting to hear about them now. They are themselves the largest group of people ever in the U.S., and they make up about 25% of the population themselves. So what does it mean? Well, if you you combine... The, the, the boomers, the millennials, the Generation Z, there's, the conclusions are an unprecedented supply and demand gap that has created this massive long-term trend. So over the next 25 to 35 years, baby boomers, millennials, and Gen Z will all be in their prime renting years. About 75% of the population, think about that, are looking at somewhat of the same product a rental, a place to rent to call home. Mm -hmm. Those are the main statistics in this segment, this part one of Trends with Benefits. Join us for part two, Trends with Benefits, where we are going to go into the real estate in DPRE, what types of real estate and how to invest in it. Yeah, and if you want to uh, listen to this podcast again, we covered a lot of information. Uh, we're going to get into part two here uh, the evidence-based investing, trends with benefits, the facts to back up what we're saying, because we're not just blowing smoke. Nope. These are facts. Uh, we're in the game. Uh, we're, you know, we're personally 
uh, very involved in the game. So evidence-based investing trends with benefits. You want those facts. Click the button on this page for to request that evidence-based investing. As always, Dale Creed, Francis, and Ryan Litvin, join us next time. Learn more about Vincent Companies and the Trends with Benefits podcast at vincentre.com or trendswithbenefitspodcast.com. You can also give us a call at 612-424-8650 or submit questions at info at vincentre.com. And we really look forward to meeting you soon.